We're going to read from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, thank you, um, um, uh, not only uh, from myself, but on behalf of uh, my wife Mel and I, uh, for your very warm welcome uh, back to our, 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 our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is a real joy to be here. We have been blessed by the conversations that we've had, and we've been encouraged by what we have seen here. And we've lots to, to, to think about and to take back, um, and that will affect some of the things we do immediately and some of the things that we'll have to think about throughout our ministry. Let's uh, turn to God's Word together. Uh, we're going to be studying this evening um, a section of, of um, Colossians, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And if, as you can see from your order of service, we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, um, verses 15 to 20. And if you're using the church Bible, it, it is on page 983. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. This is God's word. This passage is about Jesus, and it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. As I said, this is God's word, so before we study it together, let us pray to God and ask uh, his help as we study it. So let's bow our heads together and pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your grace and in your goodness, you sought it fit to give us this revelation of yourself to us. And although we are not worthy, although we rebel against you, 
We ignore you, we deny you. You have been good enough to give us your word so that we might come back to it and to see who you are. And so this evening, that is the simple thing that we ask, that we would see you, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would come to understand who he is and what he has done for us. Help us in this endeavor, we pray through the the great and mighty work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, tonight, the passage that we're looking at is all about Jesus. Now, I know we've just read it, but let's take a second and run run our eye down this passage one more time and notice how many times the word he or him is mentioned. You you probably notice it the first time around, but you'll see what I mean here. It starts straight away, doesn't it? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be made preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. It's clear, isn't it? This passage is about him, Jesus Christ. And tonight, as one commentator put it, this passage here in Paul's letter to the Colossians is a little, little bit like Jesus' CV. And Paul is listing some of his characteristics and his achievements. But as we see that this passage is all about Jesus to begin with, we also need to see why this passage is here. And I want to put it to you this evening that the reason Paul has this passage which is so rammed full of Jesus is because the church in Colossae had forgotten or were running the risk of forgetting who Jesus was. Paul gives them this CV, if you like, of Jesus because they were forgetting his attributes. They were forgetting what he had achieved. And as a result, the church in Colossae were beginning to move on to worship other things and rely on other things. And so Paul, in these five verses, reminds the Colossians who Jesus is. But another thing we must do before we go any further is see actually how this passage applies to us. Because I want us to see, before we go any further, that we might very well be in the same position as those in Colossae. I want you to take a second and ask yourself this question that's on the screen. What is it that you think about Jesus? Ask yourself, what is it you believe about him? And ask yourself, how do those beliefs affect your life? For example, do you believe that Jesus is God and therefore Lord of everything? Do you live out every aspect of your life in the knowledge that he is all you need? Is Jesus 
someone you have entrusted your spiritual life to, but perhaps you've kept them out of other areas of your life. You've confined them, if you will, to today and to church. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus the reason you're here? Or are you here for community or or knowledge or experience? Take a second and reflect on that question. What do you think about Jesus? And how does your everyday life reflect what you think about him? As you think about that, I'm sure most of you here, like me, you quickly realize that although we know Jesus, perhaps even personally, and we know a great deal of many, many things about him, many great things, we realize that we, if and maybe not the same as those in Colossae, but run the risk of doing what those in Colossae have done. For we too very easily and very quickly can forget who Jesus is. And we can very quickly move on to worship other things and rely on other things. Well, hopefully, as I said at the start, this passage is all about Jesus. And the reason for that is because of this problem that is within us, this desire for us to move on from him. But Paul here writes this passage to prove to us that Jesus is supreme, that he is over everything. And hopefully he applies it to our lives by showing his supremacy in three different areas. And we see these on the screen now. We're going to look at them in turn. Jesus' relationship with the world, Jesus' relationship with the church, and finally, Jesus' relationship with, our, with ourselves. And we look at uh, this next, our, our first point now, we're going to see now, Jesus' relationship with the world. Now we see this point in the first two verses of our passage. And if you look down at verses 15 uh, to 17, first three verses, you will see there that Paul makes it clear that Jesus was no ordinary man, but that he is God himself and therefore has supremacy over all things. We see it straight away there, don't we? In verse 15, Paul declares that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you consider this verse, you realize that this is quite an odd picture that Paul is painting, isn't it? But Paul is saying that the invisible God who created the heavens and the earth became man so that we might see him. Paul is saying that this man that we can see is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that not only did Jesus create everything, but that everything was created for him. Do you see that there? You'll see it there. He says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. This is another way of saying that Jesus is the heir of all things, or that he owns all things. Paul makes this point clear, doesn't he? He lists all the things that Jesus is supreme over. You know, he's created everything in heaven, everything on earth, things that are visible, invisible, all thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Paul makes it absolutely clear, doesn't he, right from the very beginning of this section, that Jesus was not simply a man, nor was he part God and part man, But Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he tells us this 
So that we would see that there is no one or no thing that is superior to him. Unfortunately, as I alluded to at the start, the the Colossians were struggling to remember this. In fact, for those of you who are familiar with this letter, will know that later in the letter, Paul warns against a man who, who promotes the worship of angels over the worship of Jesus. And you could say, as you read the letter, that possibly because of this man's teaching or the teaching of others, the Colossians were beginning to forget or had forgotten the supremacy of Christ. And as a church, as they grew and matured, they were beginning to look elsewhere for something to worship. In some ways, reading this, it it is a glorious passage and it makes us want to well up in praise. But when we realize why Paul is writing these things, there's a sadness, isn't there? It's sad to think that Christians would move on from knowing who Jesus is. But remember what we started with? We started by considering what we think of Jesus. And as I said at the start, we too can easily slide into a way of thinking where we forget this fact that Jesus is supreme over everything. It's easy, isn't it? Picture yourself at home watching the news. And it's easy to forget that Jesus is supreme over little things like the weather and big things like Donald Trump or Kim Jong-un. It's easy, isn't it, to forget that Jesus is supreme over history, not just global history, but even our own personal history. And it's easy to forget that he is supreme over the future. And as we go about our daily lives, it's very easy for us to forget that Jesus is sovereign over everything that occurs, whether that's in our family lives, in our work lives, in our personal lives, or even in our church life. I think a way of illustrating this is, if anything, our tendency of our hearts is that we reduce Jesus to a president figure or, 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 or like a prime minister. And I'm going to use Trump as an example. Um, he is, of course, the self-declared leader of the free world. But yet, if you think of Donald Trump, all his authority and all his power still has boundaries, doesn't it? It's still confined to the United States. A great example of this is we're we're waiting for this wall to be built, aren't we? Still no sign of it. For all his talk, for all his authority, Donald Trump, just president. But this passage says Jesus Christ knows no binds. If I was preaching this in Northern Ireland, I would say that. I would say that his power does not stop at the boundary between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Jesus knows no difference. He is not confined. His jurisdiction is not confined by geography or by some opposing power or authority. And as we get back into Colossians, we think to ourselves, well, we, are, you know, we don't have somebody here telling us to worship angels over him. But we do have this pull in our hearts constantly putting things and people in Jesus' place. And we think about that, don't we? We thought about when we worry about the future, when we worry about the health of a loved one, when we worry about what our children are going to be like in 10 or 20 years, 
Where is our first port of call? Do we rely on the image of the invisible God? Or do we rely on something else? Let me say with those examples that it is good and wise of us to make provision for our needs and our needs of our families. In fact, it is a biblical mandate. But what I want us to make the distinction is that we have idol-making hearts which want us to put our first trust, want us to put our trust and our worship on these things over Christ. But Paul here, in the knowledge of our sinful natures, exhorts us, encourages us to remember who Jesus is. He says, see who he is. Remember who he is. And trust in his supremacy. Let me try and put that into your week. Think about what you're going to be doing this, this week, maybe tomorrow or later in the week. You're sitting at work and a crisis happens at work, whether that's to do with work or in the life of a colleague. It's great news we have because we don't have this, you know, cliche that we can give them, you know, keep calm and carry on or whatever. You know, we don't have to give them that meme. You know, we don't have to do that. Instead, we can rely on Jesus and we can turn people to trust in his authority, in his goodness, and his will. And we're thinking, you know, the NHS is always on the, the news at the minute. And we're thinking about the things that our nation is going through. Whether that is the state of the NHS or what's going to happen with Brexit. As Christian people, we do not need to grumble against our politicians. Instead, we can praise Jesus for being above them in authority. And we can pray to him that he would guide them for the benefit of us, his people in this land. And finally, this is something which concerns me a great deal in Northern Ireland, which is further back from here, but I imagine it still concerns you. And that is when we consider the society that we're in and the drift away from Christianity. We think of what's going on in Holyrood and you wonder, what will it be like for our children or grandchildren in 5, 10, 20 years? But when we consider that, this passage says, do not panic. Do not panic. You do not need to do anything radical or new to regain our Christian heritage. Instead, we can look to the one who is in charge of everything in heaven and earth, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. And we can remember that he is each one of his children in his loving arms. That's what Paul wants us to see from these verses. Jesus is supreme over the world. He's in charge of North Korea. And for those of you who have hairs in your head, the hairs in your head and everything in between. And he says, and despite your temptation to worship something else, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Isn't that what we sing? Jesus, Paul says, don't do it. Jesus is supreme. There's no one else above him and no one else like him. So keep worshiping him. Keep relying on him. But the second thing Paul wants us to see is not only is Jesus supreme over the world, but he is supreme 
over the church as well. We see this in verse 18. Have a look with me. Let me read it to you again. And he says, And he, Jesus, is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Or as another translation puts it, that he might have the supremacy. And so I want you to see that Paul continues the theme of supremacy. And again, he sort of closes in the lens. He was looking out at the universe and the globe and everything in it. And closes in on the lens to his bride, the church. And the reason I say, as I said before, Paul does this. Is because it's the church in Colossae, that body of Christians, were looking at themselves. And thinking about where to go next and what to do next. They were being tempted to move on and follow other things and other people that they thought would be more helpful to them. I was thinking about this because I think, you know, I think we find this quite hard to picture. What, is it, what does it look like to move on to Jesus? I've talked about that a couple times. But I, I wanted to put it to us that actually this moving on is something that is very, very natural to us. In fact, I was thinking about this because I think we do this in, in lots of aspects of life. Um, and I think it happens to us in the simplest of things. You might have heard, you, you know, you might have heard yourself say it, you know, things like this here. So I didn't used to like seafoods, but now I love it. Or you might have said something like, you know, we used to go there on holiday, but now our children have outgrown it. Or, you know, you might say something, I used to listen to, you know, the Spice Girls, but now I've got this sort of Scandinavian, you know, electro whatever. You, you can tell I'm clearly into my music. But it's true, isn't it? It's, our, it's well within our nature that as we grow and mature, we move on. Our tastes change. And after a while, we're ready for something else. We're ready for something more. And this very natural instinct, this very natural way of being that we have, affects our relationship with Jesus. It affects our understanding of who he is and his role in the church. And as I said, this is the problem in the church in Colossae. They had forgotten who Jesus was. They'd forgotten that he was, verse 18, the head of the body, the church. They had forgotten that it was he was the one who teaches. They had forgotten that he was the one who directs. And they'd forgotten that he was the one who builds and sustains God's people forever. As before, we find ourselves in a very similar position. And to help, about this, to help us with this, I, I have three Ps. I put these up on the screen because hopefully they'll help us think about this. Because I think these are three areas that we in the church can put our trust in other than Jesus. They're not the only things, and they're not bad. But like before, we can put our trust there rather than in Jesus. And as we think about these things, people, property, and programs... When we think about putting our trust in people, you might hear yourself say something along the lines of, have you heard the teaching of such and such? It's great. You'll never have heard anything like it. and You really need to listen to this person. Forget who you're listening to at the minute and listen to this person. Or with property, you might say to yourself, imagine what we could do. I'm very aware of where I am when I'm saying this, but imagine what we could do with this new facility. Imagine how many people could come to us in here 
Think of the possibilities. With programs, we can say things like, oh, you're new to the church, welcome. You need to come to our program on Thursday night. In fact, you can all come. The kids can come to the the children's stream and, and you can join my group. It's great, you'll really enjoy it. All you need to do is sign up for the next seven weeks and you'll be grand. Obviously, these are ridiculous examples because in many ways, people, property, and programs are great and we need them. I'm a person. I'm a part of the church. But whenever they take primacy over Christ, when they supplant Jesus and his authority, then we have fallen into the trap that the Colossian church had fallen into. And I think, and I want to encourage you in this, because it's not a rebuke. This passage, this book is a letter of encouragement. And something I've really enjoyed about being here, and I'm going to speak off script for a minute, so you'll allow me, if I take, take my time getting my words correct. But you are a church in a remarkable position. And in many ways, you are starting a new chapter. You've got a great building. You've put a lot behind you. There is a lot of plans laid for the future. And it is so great to be here and be a part of it, even just for one one Sunday. But the temptation to think that we're done with Jesus is so great. The temptation to say, right, what's next? Let's move on. What's our plan? What people do we need to rely on? What property do we need? What are the programs we need to put in place? And I encourage you, and I don't think you will because I trust Jesus and his supremacy, but don't forget about him. Don't forget his role in the church. Don't forget what Paul is teaching you here, that he is the head That he is the only person that you need to follow. Jesus will not let you down. Jesus will not change his mind. Let me tell you that Jesus is the only one who you need to bring your children to to bring up in the faith. He's the only one that can save them and help them mature. And let me encourage you to say that yes, programs are brilliant, but that can happen anywhere you have a Bible. Not just here, centrally in church, but in your homes. And let me encourage you that Jesus is the one who builds the church. His teaching and the teaching of the apostles, that is the foundation on which you, his people, need to build their lives. He is the sanctuary in which we can take refuge. Take refuge from the Father's wrath. Let me encourage you, this is not a rebuke, let me encourage you to remember who Jesus is. As we apply this, I want us to think about two things, consider two things. And I want us to think, first of all, what does this look like when we're talking to other people about chammers? Ask, what, what is it you say? Whenever somebody who doesn't come here, what do you, how do you describe this place to them? Do you promote the style of praise? Do you promote the leadership, the teaching? Do you promote the vision, the property, the programs? Or do you say this place exists because Jesus is head of the church and that he and he alone 
is the sole reason it exists. And he is the sole reason we gather to worship. These things are good to promote, don't get me wrong. We want to encourage our people to listen to the leadership of this church. I certainly want to affirm that position. We want to encourage people to gather here together, assemble under God's word in this building. We want people to come to our midweek Bible studies and get together in our programs. But we want the people to see that it is all because Jesus. And I think that leads to the second thing I want to encourage you to ask. And it's really something for your leadership. I want your leadership to ask, what does our website promote? What is the purpose of our programs? Who is the object of our evangelism? Why are we training men for ministry? Why are we planting churches? And as I have seen already this week, and I'll encourage you with this, those leaders declare, and I pray that they keep on declaring, that it's because Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is supreme, and he is the reason we do everything we do. This is Jesus Christ. You know, he is supreme over the world. He is supreme over the church, even in a nation which, what did you say, around one and a half percent of people worship him? He is supreme. There's no one else like him, no one above him. But before we close, we need to look at one more thing, and that is his relationship with us. We see this in our last few verses. Let me read them again. For in Jesus, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In these last verses, we see Jesus' relationship with us. And you look down at these verses, we see what he says here. He says, doesn't he, that even though he is God himself, even though he is the one who is supreme over the world, even though he is the one who is supreme over the church, do you see that last line? Through him he came to earth to shed his blood on a cross so that we might be reconciled to him. Do you see that there? See from verse 20 that even though we may be like the Colossians, even though we have this natural inclination to move on from Jesus, Jesus has not moved on from us. Jesus has not moved on from us. And it's remarkable because if we consider what we've thought so far, we've thought about how we demote Jesus to president or prime minister. How in our hearts is this struggle to not to elevate other things above him and, and put our trust elsewhere. Even as we acknowledge how we have stand opposed to his supremacy and how even we falter and fail at keeping him our focus. Look at this verse and remind yourself that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has made us, those who were his enemies, at peace with him. If you consider, consider this, let's think about this. Consider our insubordination to Jesus for a minute. 
consider who he is. We've said he's supreme. We've said that we have, you know, we're naturally inclined to move away from him. And put that level of insubordination into your workplace and into your families. Think about it. In any other realm, in school or anything, that kind of disobedience would just not be tolerated, would it? If you're, some of you employ people here, if somebody was like this with you, I mean, they would be gone, wouldn't they? Long gone. In fact, you know, think about it even more. Can you imagine somebody of this power luring themselves for an enemy? No. You employ people to do that. You know, cannon fodder. That's what powerful people do. So consider this. Jesus came into this world. He came in to die. Not to push us away as we have pushed him away. But to bring us closer to him. And so as we leave here and mull over all of these things that we've thought about him, I want us to have this at the forefront of our minds. Because this is why we should trust Jesus. This is, you know, this is why he is the one we point others to in times of distress. This is why he is the one that we want to promote in church. This is why Jesus and no one else demands our worship. This is why Jesus demands our focus on our faithfulness. And I could easily say that he demands all of these things because he is supreme. We should bow down to him in fear and trembling. But we bow down to him because he sacrificed the supreme self for our sake. This is Jesus. This It's what Paul says we need to think and know and remember about Jesus. So let's go back to those questions I asked at the start. What do you think about Jesus? What do you believe about him and how does that affect your life? Well, I hope you see now from Paul's description of him that he is God and therefore Lord of all. I hope you see that you can trust him for all you need in every aspect of life, your personal life, your work life, in your church life. I hope you see that he is supreme, not just today of your time, but tomorrow and of Wednesday and Thursday, every aspect of your life. Hope you see that it is Jesus, this Jesus, that is why you're here. And I hope you find him to be the source of your community. That he is the source of your experience. And the source of your increasing knowledge of the wonders of God. This is Jesus Christ. He is supreme. He is supreme. There's no debating it. So let me encourage you to trust him. To keep trusting him. To keep worshipping him alone and none other. And whatever the temptation, whatever the sin that weighs us down, whatever is going on, don't move on from him. Don't move on from him. This is my prayer for you. It's my prayer for myself as well. And I, I look forward to hearing about your next chapter.
And I look forward to being encouraged that Christ is still the center of it. Let me pray for you now as I close. And then, um, and then I'll invite the, the praise good up to, to, to sing our last hymn. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God. O Zion, for all generations. This is my prayer for this body of people here. For my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would not put their trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save, but to put their trust in the Lord who reigns forever, our God, O Zion, for all generations. Amen.